of a four-star general, believe it or not, this week. And she says, the one thing I can't stand about your program, Mr. Shepard, aside from you, of course, is that rotten theme that you continue to play over and over again. Please bring it up there all the way. If there's anything I like to get after, it's the wife of a major uh, lieutenant, a full general. Holy smokes. All right, this is old me here. Oh, gee whiz, wow. Oh, wowie, wow. <laughs> It's July. Already half of summertime is gone. Oh, please, please, somehow, stand still. Stand still, oh, time in thy flight. Yes, the moon hangs heavy o'er the great spinning orb. This poor, sad planet Earth. (laughs) Wow. Nathan's hot doggery is moving at the high gear. Jones Beach is swinging all the way out, but everyone secretly knows deep inside his innermost recesses of his heart. Oh, crying out loud, it's getting by again. Another summer is practically over already. It's the first of July. Oh, crying out loud. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, time plays like some gigantic organist upon the keyboard of human existence. Vox tremulo, the Chinese woodblocks, and the sound of temple bells playing off stage. Doing, doing. July 1st, oh, we salute thee. June has swirled off into eternal darkness, gone forever. June of 1965 has passed like a giant ship in the night. And here it is, July. Have you started your Christmas shopping? Set that back, Larry, there. That's very good. We need a little more of that. Oh, gee whiz, though. Actually, you know, friends, seriously, there's got to be something that we can do about this, you know. We've got all kinds of telethons for everything, like the measles, stamp out the hives and all that if they could somehow come up with a big telethon of all, it would get, move everybody off there, you know what. To get on the phone quick and call, let's have a big telethon to stop out time. The great thief. That's it, that's it. I will award you a brass fig leggy with bronze. Hold it in the veins there, please, Larry. I'll give you a cue. I will award you the bronze fig leggy with oak leaf palm for action above and beyond the ordinary mud and muck of listener service that mire of mediocrity in which you normally find yourself, friends. No offense, certainly intended, but let's face facts the way they are. Uh, I will award you a brass fig to with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me what radio program this was the theme of. Oh, what a tear joiker. 
You don't know. Well, that's all right. You're not supposed to know. That's it. That ain't the Gene Shepherd show. I can tell you that, Dad. Oh, boy. I'll tell you. I, I guess in New York, you're not as... Well, maybe somehow, in a nutty kind of way, I suspect that in New York, you're more conscious of the seasons. Now, this sounds like a contradiction over something else I've said in the past. Possibly it is, but you know, your your mind keeps going along, you keep seeing other sides to things. And I have a vague feeling that people in New York City, right in the heart of the urban world, are more conscious of the passing of the seasons than people in other parts of the country. On a different level, though. On a very different level. In, in, in short, they're conscious, I believe, in New York, of missing the seasons more than they are. Oh, sure, but 97% of the population in New York walks around all the time saying, well, yeah, I'm going to go to the beach, yeah. Uh, we are, one of these weekends, we ought to go to the beach. I think we ought to go to the beach. What do you say, Madge? One of these weekends. He ain't going to the beach. He ain't going to no beach at all this year. He's going to sit on his you-know-what. Oh, he's going to sit on it there day after day in front of the television set watching Ed Crane pool in the sun. Yeah. He's going to watch Larry Bernard out there sweating on the mound, getting shelled by the Milwaukee Braves. He is going to watch Lindsey Nelson, bronzed from endless trips across the country, lounging in the sun, drinking the beer, looking out and say, well, it's been a great day out here, folks, fans. And old Joe Klutz, sitting on his you-know-what, on the grand concourse in the shadow of magnificent Alexanders, is once again wasting another leaf in that great volume of life. In the good old summertime. In the good old summertime. Yeah, in a pig's ear. Anytime we do that, what you do is spend most of your time walking around 6th Avenue hollering. <laughs> you know, getting pushed around, looking for cabs at the, on all sides. You know, it's a funny thing about that about that time, though, you know. It's, it's Friday night. I suspect that one of the reasons, this is just a vague little, uh, little theory I've had from time to time, a little inkling inside of my own soul, it had nothing to do with you. Uh, I suspect that one of the reasons why people get frantic on Friday night, Friday night is a wild, fantastic night. Uh, I mean, this is, this is really Marty night in spades. Uh, Friday night, the streets are filled with great big fat, great big fat behind the uh, mercuries, you know, painted white with pink tops, trailing antennas and beer cans as they go whistling up and down 6th Avenue. The guys yelling out, hey, baby, whoa, whoa. <laughs> they roar past, inevitably with their Jersey license plate hanging on the back there with a couple of rusty reflectors. This is a... Uh, uh, I, this is a Friday night syndrome. And why? Why is it not like that on Tuesday? I suspect people are again reminded of the passage of time. Friday night, the weekend, it is a kind of holiday that hangs the shimmers there. Uh, and, and the adults, of course, uh, still retain that same thing that they had as kids. You know that feeling of, whoopee, wow, school's out! Now, it's not so easy to do that at BBD&O. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I'd love to see one guy, one guy, just once, 
run down the corridor here on the 24th floor. One of our poor, sad salesmen, you know, with the, with the, with the wrinkles of worry around his eyes and, and that kind of rubberiness of too many martinis, uh, kind of uh, an aura of olives and twisted lemon peels and beef eater gin around them. I'd just like him just once to see one of these guys in his air-conditioned suit and his $12 Brooks Brothers shirt and his little, uh, his little uh, tie silk tie, you know, with his little snap rim hat, running down towards the elevator, that automatic elevator. Hey, wowie, wowie, hooray, wow! Station's out! Wow, wow! W-O-R's out for the weekend! Wow, wow! It is in the heart of all of them. Don't think for a minute it ain't. It is deep down there, hanging around by the liver or the spleen somewhere. Even little round fat ladies with girdles. They've had girdles on so long they don't even come off anymore. You know, they're ingrained in them. They must feel that faint stirring of whoopee, wow, holy smokes, it's out. <laughs> enough of that <laughs> well this uh, this uh, this pursuit for freedom you know that's all connected with the pursuit for freedom it is you know a lot of guys interpret freedom as no work uh, no responsibilities and this 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 feeling of being free on Friday this this feeling of being free and swinging on a Saturday is part of that strange thing uh, the human, you know, we're, we're, we're really, have you ever thought about civilization itself? Uh, what a fantastic uh, operation it is, really, and how it started. Uh, <laughs> sure, you know, there must have been a time when it was totally disorganized. Nobody thought in terms of getting out and getting it done. Nobody thought in terms of making it. Can you imagine the first man who thought in terms of making it? And how, how that must have changed, that must have changed all of history. In fact, there is no recorded example of a Kodiak bear looking around at all the other Kodiak bears and says, what a bunch of klutzes. By tomorrow morning at, maybe by tomorrow afternoon at three, I'm going to run the show. No, no, they just sit around on rocks and scratch and burp, you know, and pick at flies once in a while and they go out and eat an acorn or two. They live to a ripe old age, and they walk around in the sun, stick their tongue out and catch a little rain occasionally, you know, and they eat a leaf or two and belt a, belt a rabbit behind the ear once in a while. You know, when you're a little hungry, of course, rabbits are doing the same scene. You don't think rabbits are easy on carrots, do you? Oh, no. Poor innocent carrot there, you know. Well, so it's all dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's pig-eat-pig. Pig. It's Kodiak bear eat rabbit uh, all over life, you see. And they accept it. Now, they're scrunched down there, you see. The Kodiak bears resting in the sun. And occasionally, you know, have you ever seen bears fish? Oh, they go down to the shore there and they bat those salmon out. They yell and holler and they eat the... Oh, they eat the tails, the heads, everything else. They're awful things, these bears. Well, all right now, there must have been a time. In fact, a friend of mine who was at the University of Pennsylvania, Larry, who was a very famous... Uh, he's an archaeologist-anthropologist. This is an interesting combination. He is hard at work putting together the truly key moments in man's past. You know, we often say the key moments came when they invented the wheel. It came when, you know, they invented the loincloths. Somebody decided to stop hitting uh, 
gophers with their fists, and they begin to pick up rocks. Oh, no, there were more key points than that, absolutely. As a matter of fact, there was one time sitting on the shore. This is a treatise that he's got coming out in the fall. It's going to rock a lot of people. There's two guys, and they, he's traced it to a lake just outside of Switzerland. Now, if you know, outside of Zurich, Switzerland, actually, the big lake there, you know, it's an antediluvian lake. They didn't even have mountains then, you know. They hadn't invented the Alps. You know, that's all been, ever since they discovered the tourists, that's all been put there in the last few years. Actually, historically speaking, there was nothing there. They didn't have rain. There was not really rain like we know it. Uh, clouds, they didn't have. Everything was gray then in those days, you see. And, and uh, the sun didn't come out much. And when it did, it just sort of sat up there and was kind of green and moved around. They didn't have trees. And these two guys were scrunched down by the shore of this lake. Now, they were hard at work building a kitchen midden. Now, a kitchen midden is not a mitten with a Brillo pad built into the palm. It's not, uh, that's not a kitchen midden. Although I used to always yell at my mom that, you know, she had one of these, these palm things, you know, a, a, a mitt that you wash the dishes with. And I used to say, hey, Ma, is that your kitchen mitten? <laughs> and, you know, a kid joke. Well... See, I had discovered the, the word midden at, at about the age of nine, and it stuck with me all through my life because it was such a great word. Like there was another name. I discovered the name of a composer named Otto Gluck, and I used to think Otto Gluck was a funny name. I'd say, hey, Doppler, hey, Doppler, Otto Gluck. And Doppler would fall down and hit his head on the sidewalk, and he had his own name. He had, his, he had a name called uh, a guy named Leon Doppelfinger. And uh, this was a famous uh, psychologist, and he would say, Hey, Leon Doppelfinger! And then I'd hit my head on the sidewalk. And, you know, big kid jokes. Well, these two guys, these two, these two ancient cavemen, Og and Charlie, were scrunched down on the shore of this ancient antediluvian muddy lake, and they were building a kitchen midden. Now, a kitchen midden really is just a garbage pile. That's all that is, really. That's a fancy way of saying, you know, if, if an anthropologist does not want to say to the people back at the National Geographic magazine, writes back, well, I'm working here, I'm digging through the garbage of this tribe, he has to write back, <laughs> I mean, that's a little too truthful, see. So he writes back and says, the kitchen middens of the Anamopopoeia tribe are exceedingly interesting. That means he has found a special kind of garbage. And uh, every tribe can be detected. Oh, yeah, you, can, you, you know more about the tribe by its garbage than you do by, yeah, than, the, than you do by the stuff they claim is what they really do. Yeah, oh, sure. The anthropologists never read the editorials that were written by the Roman senators. They go out back at the Colosseum, they dig up all the old hot dog rinds and all that stuff, and they know what kind of Sundays they spend at the Colosseum. You know, all those jaw bones and those lion claws and all that, you know. Well, as a matter of fact, speaking of... Gar oh, this is WORAM at FM New York, and, uh, you know, that reminds me. Hit the button there, Charles. <laughs> well, this could very well be kitchen mitten of the future. These little things thing were playing. Good taste that's so bright and refreshing. Good tobaccos. Tobacco's flavor blended to brighten up your taste. Enjoy the bright and refreshing taste that comes through the Kent filter. Light up the Kent, you've got a good thing going. Kent is the one cigarette for everyone who smokes. Light up the Kent, you've got a good thing going. Light up the Kent for real good taste. 
Light up again, you got a good thing going, good tobacco. The Kent filter for good taste going when you light up a Kent. A good thing going when you light up a Kent. Light up a Kent. Brighten up your taste. Light up a Kent. You've got a good thing going. Holy smokes. Can you imagine the guy who's got a good thing going because he's got a cigarette left? <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> hey, you know, that's something that, that I'd, I just like to ask casually now. This is not... I know this is the kind of thing that turns the sales department's hair gray. But, you know, uh, I have an on time occasionally. Is it is there something wrong with me? Something wrong with my taste buds or something? Or am I insensitive? But I have on occasion smoked cigarettes. I cannot tell one cigarette from the other. Can you? Really, honestly? Now, now there is a mystique among cigarette smokers that they can. And yet, I have never seen this in action. Uh, it's like beer. Uh, it, it is very popular. You know, have you ever noticed that, that you see on beer commercials, uh, somehow they will imply that this beer has such a fantastically different taste that the merest klutz can tell the difference. It shows, oh, wowee, this is the beer that's full of life. Ooh, and the next thing you know, the ball game looks good in the whole scene. Well, I don't think they're drinking beer. Now, uh, on the other hand, cigarettes, have you noticed these commercials now? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not arguing that there may be infinitesimal differences between cigarettes, but not the cataclysmic, almost apocalyptic difference that you see on the commercials. You know, there's one guy that says, Oh, wow, Charlie, oh, holy smokes, these cigarettes sure ain't making it. Ugh, oh, what rotten cigarettes. I don't know what it is that's rotten. And then the other guy says, Well, Fred, uh, I don't like to meddle in your business, but uh, how about trying one of these? And he whips open the package, and Fred says, Oh, oh, I see, mentholated whoopies. Well, I'll try one of them. And he's looking very suspicious. The match goes, and suddenly you see the the, the the lines of age disappear from his face. His hair becomes once again deep and black and luxurious. His eyes sparkle. He says, say, holy smokes, well. And then they're both watching the ball game. You know, said he says, say, you know, hey, come on, go out and get him, fellas. Holy smokes, well. This is an apocalyptic difference. I wish I could find that in life. I really do. I wish I could find the kicks that everybody else seems to find in the trivial things that are around us. Now, you know, I, I sit there, and it, uh, I'm at the ball game, and I holler, you know, the guy's walking up and down with a beer, and he's got, he's got all these cans there that are rattling. Oh, hey, beer! And the guy comes over and gives me a beer, and I often ask myself when I'm drinking, and I try to say, what, what kind of beer is this? I cannot tell what kind of beer it is. Now, the point I'm making here is that I think the difference is only noticeable if you know what the brand is beforehand. You know? Oh, no. Let me tell you, honey, you smoke, uh, I don't care what it is, L&M's, green ones or blue ones. I'll bet if I, just a, on a sneaky, rotten thing, one day I'm going to do this. I'm going to take your package, and I'm going to fill them up with Brand X. You know, that look exactly like yours, and you'll smoke them right down. I mean, I'm, I know you will. <laughs> I just know you will. That has been done numerous times in psychological laboratories, and I was present when it was done. There is nobody who believes more in brand names than college students. 
college student. That's one of the reasons why they all love Bond. He's always talking about brand names all the way down through, you know. They love, and this is one of the secret lures, incidentally, of Playboy. Playboy tells them the right brands of everything, you know. <laughs> and, and brand names really get college kids. Well, I saw I saw this done in a classroom. I saw this done with with ten insanely dedicated smokers. And boy, there's nobody more dedicated to smoker than a college kid. They smoke them like nine packs a day, you know. And they all said exactly what you're saying, Lee. Well, it was a ridiculous. It was just a, sal- a silly, ridiculous display. I mean, ridiculous. Uh, they 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 lined them all up out there, and they said, "All right, now, here we have ten cigarettes." Now they did something. I suppose that uh, in a way they they covered the labels, you know, and they they made them all look alike. They they made sure that there weren't some that had brown filters and some with white filters. They all looked exactly alike. I said, "All right, now, pick your cigarette." Do you know that out of the ten, not one picked his cigarette? And you know what they did to them? They uh, they had all these ten cigarettes. They were all one brand. They were all one brand. <laughs> and incidentally, not one of them picked that brand and said, this is the brand that they're smoking. And they said, oh, yeah, this is mine. They went right down to ten. And each one of them, by the way, out of the ten cigarettes, found his cigarette. Now, that's the whole point of the thing. They gave them ten cigarettes, all lit, see. Now, did you follow the, what they did to them? They said, all right, pick your cigarette out of this. You say you know. Now, here are ten cigarettes here. Pick yours. And the guy says, oh, sure, I can pick mine any time. Absolutely. So he goes, oh, gee, what a rotten cigarette. Ah, Brand X. Oh, wow. Hmm. Well, uh, hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what this, this is not a bad cigarette. I know. I used to smoke this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Yeah. Number three here. Yeah. Oh, sure. I can tell everybody. Ooh, ah. He's been smoking the same three cigarettes. Now, that happened to ten of them. Not one, but ten. And after it was all over, you know what happened after it was all over? These were students, you know, involved in the scientific experiment. After it was all over, do you think they believed it? They went walking. Oh, come on. That's a phony rig to all of them. Most people, what I'm saying here, smoke the label. Uh, they're smoking a label. And uh, I've, I've often, you know, speaking of uh, of that subtlety, uh, that, that business of, of not knowing uh, of the, the great apocalyptic reaction that some people have to things. The other day I went to a movie. Now, I'm going to give you a little illustration of that. Again, I suspect it must be Shepard's basic, innate, turtle-like insensitivity. No, it's the truth. Underneath it all, I am just a clod, a klutz. Which reminds me, speaking of the klutz world, you got another whoopee in there? Oh, here they Wow! Yeah, speak your fears. This is one that speaks straight to your heart. This is one that sings and plays a marimba as it goes marching down the street of your existence. It's Miller Highlight. With the 4th of July weekend so close, you can hear the sound of marching bands and big bass drums. What is this copy here? Marching bands, big bass drums. Can you see all that down on VZ Street for crying out loud? Lay in a stock of Miller Highlight for the weekend, man. And if you want to enjoy Fourth of July laying there under the daybed, yelling and hollering and throwing cans out the kitchen, this is your way to do it. Miller Highlight, your friend. The beer that sparkles all the way down. And it's the beer you can count on to do it. 
All right, then. So, some more of that. Well, I went to a movie. Now, I, I wonder how many of you have had the same experience. Hey, now, 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 I want to ask you this, Larry. Now, this is a personal question. Uh, is there a group of people who has foisted off on us now, for whatever reasons, I don't know. Maybe they want to. They want to. They they tr- they want to so hard be in this world of fun that they foisted off on us the proposition that they are having fun. Did you ever see anybody go as ape over a coke as those people do in those commercials? You see, oh, oh, oh wow! I'll tell you, I was. Yeah, well, I saw that tiger coming, you know, and I knew that if I didn't get. Oh, 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 yeah, if I didn't get them, uh, you can see them visibly growing younger as they drink this thing. Have you ever have you ever had that sensation? You have. Well, then maybe you live in that world. I've wondered about the engineering world. Now, I, <laughs> uh, now another question too. I, I want to ask that is in connection with that whole concept. The, I suppose you might say the enjoyment or the uh, the going ape factor in life. We can describe it as that. That. Uh, you will go. Have you? How many times have you gone to a movie that has been highly touted as a as a side splitting ninety minutes of solid laugh baffo comedy, great fantastic in satire baffo comedy, and you have sat there and you have vaguely had the feeling that you're watching a bunch of kids pushing each other around and showing off in the living room, you know, and there is one little knot of people usually over to the left of the balcony, a lot of tall thin men in in uh, horn rim glasses and heavy-set girls with mustaches, and they are going ape. <laughs> every time Jane Fonda moves her hand, you know, they scream, and every time Peter Sellers just shows up on the screen, <laughs> and you're sitting there, you know, waiting for it to happen. Well, you walk out firmly convinced that it's because you are basically an ironclad klutz. Have you had that feeling? Don't tell me you have experienced that. <laughs> now most people won't admit this. No, I, I'm I'm telling you something which only we can only get away with on Friday night. Most people won't admit this because to admit it means that you're not part of something very big. You're not part of it, the big swinging thing. You know that is considered. Now I have gone to uh, several of the the top discotheques in the world, and do you know I would say this. I will, I, will, I, will ha- I have to uh, again. This is a is a personal uh, a personal uh, estimate of the situation. I was at I was at the ad lib. You've heard about the ad lib. Who do you think I was at the ad lib with? Two of the Beatles. Would you believe it? One of the Beatles was fantastically bored at the top discotheque in the world. Now you would never believe that, wouldn't you? <laughs> the idea being that we think that the world is all fun for this group of people who are in the Pepsi-Cola ads, you know, the Pepsi generation, the skiing crowd, the surfing crowd, and you never see a guy standing on a surfboard saying, oh, what a drag, and all the time it's going out and getting on the thing and going back, what a boring thing, over and over again, the same jazz, what is this? Never, you never see that. There's a look of unbelievable ecstasy on their pan constantly. As they go, well, now, I am sitting in the ad-lib club with one of the Beatles. And this is supposed to be uh, half of the, the jet-set world would give their left you-know-what to, 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 to be at the, at the uh, well, I'm talking about their shoe, actually. 
they would love to be in the ad lib with one of the Beatles. You know, <laughs> this is it. This is like you know, uh, this is like being an ascot with a king or the queen or something. So I'm sitting there with this Beatle. And everybody's out there, and the, and the records are going, dum, 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 and that chicks are swinging, you know, and the guys are looking, sort of glazed look. And, and we're all sitting around the side there. There's a whole great darkness out there, all the people that are just peering at this thing, you know. It's like, it's like watching a native rite. And I'm with one of the Beatles, and he's drinking, uh, well, for the purposes of argument here, let's say uh, he's drinking 7-Up. And uh, we're sitting there at this little table, and all of a sudden he turns to me and says, he said, let, let get out of here. And I said, well, what do you mean get out of here? This is where people go to. You know, this is it. I mean, this is the Vatican. This is it, you know. You don't get out of here. You come here. He said, oh, that's a, that's a drag. And I said, a drag? I said, I thought it was only me that was thinking this was a pain in the you-know-what. Now that you're saying it, it's okay, huh? Said, I don't know why it means a drag. And so five minutes later, we're down on the street, walking along like anybody else, you know, looking at cigar butts and old beer cans in the middle of <laughs> London. Now, the point I'm making here is who is having fun there? Well, I will guarantee you in any group, in, you know, you see these pictures of the discotheques, you know, and people, there are millions of people who are feeling great gnawings of being left out. You know what I mean, Larry. They're left out. Well, I wonder who's in. As a matter of fact, I was with one of the Beatles and he felt left out. Now, who the heck is in? <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm not inventing this. This is a, We're living in the, in the great age of the myth, the fun myth. And that's a, that's a whole bit. That's a whole problem in itself. I would say that in the average discotheque, out of maybe uh, 100 people in the discotheque, I'll bet there aren't three or four people who really are really digging the scene. And they're digging it because of a special situation. They're with a chick they want to make the scene with, or there's a chick who, who's got this thing, you know, she, she's really on that night. She figures everybody's watching her for some reason or other. But they're not digging it because it is, quote, a discotheque, and it's the swinging, fantastic, new, dynamic Pepsi-Cola world. No, sir. And, and, and the rest of the people just sit around and look, you know. How many times have you gone to a big event that is supposed to be a tremendous thing, and by the middle of the second quarter, your behind is asleep, and your ears are frozen. <laughs> you know, and everybody is screaming, they're ape, they're all yelling their heads off, and, and and you're sitting there, you can't see, the mud is flying. I went to a big pro football game last year, and believe me, by the middle of the second quarter, I couldn't have been more bored, just completely bored. Now I know that's a terrible thing to say. Well, the score was 49 to six. And yet everybody was running around, yelling and hollering, hitting themselves in the back, pretending they were having a great time, you know, because getting the ticket was harder and more important than watching the game. And getting into the discotheque seems to be more important than being in the discotheque. And once you're there, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of noise and hollering, and, and it's dark and steamy, and you're overcharged, and... And, you know, your knee still hurts, even though you're in the discotheque, and the chick still doesn't dig you. Now, I want to tell you another one, a little in story, which I should not tell. I went to the same discotheque, which is uh, the ad lib, with a world-famous playboy. Now, this guy invented, literally, a world-famous playboy. And it wasn't Hugh Hefner. <laughs> In fact, this is the guy that Hugh Hefner wishes he was. Uh, this is this is a world famous playboy. We got into this into this 
place, and we sat down. Here's a guy who's famous. He's a millionaire. You know the whole scene. Rolls Royces. He's got the the the, the villa on the uh, on the on the Antibes. You know and the whole business. He, you know, yells and hollers around with Bridget Bardot all the time. That that whole scene. See, so we come into this discotheque, and I'm saying, Shepard, you have come a long way from Hessville, Indiana. I'll tell you. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm wearing my black suit with a little tie, you know, and all the little fluffy things on the front of my shirt and all that. I come in there, and they're, and they're playing the Rolling Stones record. Yeah, 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 baby, wow, wow. It's going. And, and, of course, they pass each one of us as we come in. You have to pass through the security guards. It's Believe me, it's easier to smuggle 17 pounds of heroin into the United States. I, I'm serious. In your tennis shoes. Uh, than it is to get into some of these joints because that's the whole bit, you know, getting in. I didn't know that at the time. So they're going through the everybody's papers. Is your pay bus, please? And you have to produce your international credentials. They examine your eyes, you know, these things that the doctors use with the little flashlights to see that you've got the proper amount of bloodshotness in there, you know, that you've put away enough scotch and stuff. And, and they test your reflexes to see if you're high enough, you know, and the whole scene. Well, I finally made it. I'm in there only because I'm with this world famous playboy and his latest fantastic chick who is seen in all the tabloids you know and all the stuff she's got the big pile of, of blonde hair and and uh, you know a whole bitch you know topless uh, gown and all that i'll tell you one thing you know a terrible thing when i saw this chick in her topless gown uh it's awful you know i wanted to tell her well uh terrible thing you know uh <laughs> i wanted to kind of help her i had a feeling they should be squeezed uh, that she was having skin trouble, actually, is what it looks <laughs> a very difficult problem. There's a lot of ladies that shouldn't go in for this topless thing because, well, <laughs> well, she did. I mean, I know it's in bad taste, but she was, wow, what are you going to do? You're part of the modern world. So we go into this joint, and here it is. It's dark, and there's the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and everybody's sitting around, and a couple of, couple of jazz musicians are, are sitting over in the corner there with their shades on, and they're stoned out of their skull, and there's 18 fantastic models, and Christine Keeler is over there, and the whole bitch. Yeah, she was there. It's a big star there. And uh, I, I sit down with him, and sitting on the other side of him is this chick, see? And I says, I am here. I am sharing a date with one of the world's famous playboys with his chick. And, uh, you know, let's, let's see how it really works now, the big time. Well, all of a sudden, she gets up, walks across the floor, sees another guy, grabs a hold of him, and out they go. The chick has split on the world-famous Playboy, and he is purple. <laughs> he gets up and he says, where are you going, baby? And boom, she's gone. And he sits down, and I realize that I'm with the richest Marty in the Western world. <laughs> Holy smokes. Gee whiz, wow. Nothing is... <laughs> you get to the top... <laughs> You know, it's terrible. It's like getting elected to be the president, you know, and you arrive at the White House and you find out the air conditioning doesn't work. <laughs> you know, just like your pad in the Bronx. You got another one of those things in there, hit it, Dad. Part of the fun of the world's fair is the Subway special that takes you What are we selling here, the Subway? Yes, part of the 
Part of the fun, of course, in living in New York is being able to ride the subway, friends. Oh, what fun. Holy smokes. I just, sometimes I spend my whole weekend just riding around on the A train, up and down on the D train. Your New York Transit Authority has provided 430 spanking new picture window cars. You can see the tunnel going by out of the picture window cars to go to the World's Fair. It's fun. Rasmus. What the heck good is a picture window car in a subway? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that's part of our brave new world. Everything is fun. Part of the fun of going all the way is the brand new... Part of the fun. Well, that's that's part of the fun myth, of course. Now, I wonder if a guy listening to this spot relates it to his latest subway ride. Or does he think he got on the wrong train? The other trainees are the ones where they're having fun, you know. <laughs> hanging on the, uh, everybody on the hanging straps is Debbie Reynolds. And everybody sitting there is Tony Curtis. And they're all looking out at that sparkling World's Fair. There isn't three of those old guys, you know, that you see laying under the, under the seats there. <laughs> that have been riding for four weeks, you know, on the same underneath there. And, oh, wow. <laughs> well, last night I was on a subway. I'll tell you, it was funny. Last night I was on a subway, and uh, maybe I better not tell that story. We just had a subway spot. It's fun, friends. Well, of course, there's all kinds of fun. There's, there's, there's guys that go for bull whips. There's people who go for hobnail boots. There's all kinds of fun. You know, it depends on what you're looking for. But getting back to that movie bit and the feeling of being left out, I think it's very... It starts in school. It really does. It starts back when you're about 10 years old in school. And you, you see these movies of these, of these great-looking kids who seem to be enjoying such a fantastic life. And you see, uh, you see articles and magazines about it. And how many people had the impression that other kids lived in much more hip surroundings, that other people's mothers and fathers were far more... They were, they were more official, you know? They, they, they went places. They did great things. And all you did was fool around in your life. You add and as you get older and older, this becomes more and more solidified. I suspect that a poor kid reading the current issue of Esquire, you know, which is all about the teenage world, I'll bet at least 99.9999% of the kids feel like they are being cheated out of their, out of their great fantastic teen world. Well, you know, it's one word. Uh, now, it goes further now. It gets, into, it gets into the age of the 20s. Millions of guys read the Playboy magazine, of course, and they, they're constantly reading about these dynamic, young, uh, flat-chested, flat-stomach executives who have the Italian silk suits, who fly a plane on the weekend to Bermuda with the chick beside them. You know that, whole, you know that world. And all the while, they find themselves working at the Acme Bolton Nut Shop down on Lower 6th Avenue, sorting bolts and nuts, and they can't figure out why the heck they're there, how their life got lost up. They really do. Now, the only point I'm trying to make is, does anybody live that kind of life? You th it, oh, no, we've got to believe it. We've just got to believe it. Does anybody live that, that trim, beautiful, uh, flying off into the far horizon of the southern coast of France, arrow-like life? I don't know. 
Uh, I'm, I'm sitting in this movie the other night. This is a movie that's been wildly heralded. And that afternoon, a guy looked me right in the eye and said, Shep, you got to see this movie. This is a classic. Well, I waited for the classic. I thought I was seeing a trailer for a good 20 minutes before, you know, I thought, well, this is a, one of those... Uh, this is really one of those travelogues put out by the South African Tourist Bureau. It went on for about 20 minutes, and then I realized I'm looking at the feature because I could hear the shrill laughter of the whoopee in crowd back of me up there in the, in the balcony. I knew this was the real thing. Well, I tried weekly a couple of times, you know, <laughs> brack. Well, I'm not, a, I can, I'm not very good at fake laughter. And so after 97 minutes or whatever this was of it, I had one mild laugh in the entire scene and nobody laughed at that one that's what bothers me that i waited for the crowd up there to yell and holler at that one because it was a really and nobody laughed at that bit so i realized there are two planes of existence there's us and them i'm sorry what was the bit you want you want to hear what the bit was i laughed at well here's this old gunfighter see and uh He's at the bar, and he's, you know, I says, oh, nothing. Incidentally, I am going to be the only guy in the entire Western world who's going to demur. Uh, Lee Marvin's performance was not the greatest thing, believe me, since uh, <laughs> Gil Good's Hamlet. It was not. But uh, nevertheless, Marvin is, it's camp, pure camp, you know, it's a big deal today. So Marvin's, uh, he's standing there, and he wants a drink. Give me a drink, Wow. Well, uh, suddenly a guy shows up behind them, and it's an old, old guy, an ancient, ancient f gunfighter, apparently. He says, oh, he says, oh, it's old, it's old, oh, it's old, old lefty. Oh, wow, you remember me? Uh, you remember me? I'm old, uh, um, I'm uh, old, uh, I'm, uh, you, uh, you, you remember me? I'm old, uh, and he goes drifting off. He didn't remember who he was. <laughs> well, I laughed at that. I was I was rolling in the aisle, and I realized nobody else was laughing up there, apparently, because they didn't remember who they were. That wasn't very funny. You got any more of those in there? All right, we've got a couple here. We've got Peugeot. <laughs> for those of you who are looking for a fine car that uh, is easy to take care of, I would suggest the French Peugeot, uh, considered one of the finest seven cars in the world. It's got a sliding roof. You can stand up and drive. You can drive with your feet in this car, and it's a wonderful car to do a lot of things in. The, the, the seats fold down. It's fantastic. This is the French Peugeot, and you'll get up to 32 miles to the gallon of gasoline. Let's see. what. Oh, you see it at 2 East 46th Street. What else? Do, oh, Castro. Oh, speaking of great conveyances, uh, we have the Castro convertible here. And... Uh, well, look, what is it? There's a lot of rotten people with rotten minds out there. This is a, this is a very serious proposition. A lot of people for years have been looking for a place to sleep, and uh, for those of you, <laughs> for those of you who have that trouble, I would suggest you visit your your local Castro daily. He has over two thousand fabrics. Some of them you can't even mention on the air. They're fantastic, unbelievable. Hundreds and hundreds of styles. They come in all sizes. You can get the mammoth size, the king size, the Grand Canyon size of Castro. For those of you who like to throw parties at home that really spread out, this is Castro. 37 dealers all around the town. Let's see, what else do we got there? That's all? Limelight. Oh, yes, we'll be at the Limelight tomorrow night from 10.05 until midnight, and I think we'll do a special 4th of July type show which will be particularly diabolical. 
So for the benefit of those of you who are Fiasco fans, uh, we'll be on hand tomorrow night in the limelight, which is down on Sheridan Square, right in the heart of the worst part of New York. Uh, this is uh, the limelight. And you invite its fun, friends. We'll be there until midnight, and if you can't make the scene, we're on the air. We're on live, and it ain't really a Met ball game you're listening to coming from there. It's us at uh, all of our little funnies down there. Okay? Keep your knees loose, King. Watch out. Be careful. And really, you should learn to laugh. You should learn to have fun. After all, this is part of the big new fun world, and it's not easy to have fun. Some people work at it and work in it just the way other artists used to work in clay and in marble. You've got to work, sweat, and perspire to truly have fun. So get to work. Get your nose down to the grindstone and let them giggles roll out. All right, man. Fools and idiots and knaves. you can do with your radio if you don't like it. <laughs>